Well, good morning. Hey, someone left anointing oil for me. I guess we're going to have to use this afterwards. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, it's good to see you all. It's great to meet all of those who are here for the first time. It's an honor to have you. And I just want to say, if, if no one has told you this week that you are loved, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that you are absolutely loved. You are loved, and we welcome you. We're, uh, we just love to have you here. I want to also welcome the live stream audience. We're honored that you would spend your Sunday mornings with us. And um, I want to say that uh, a year ago, we started a school of ministry, and I asked Mary to not announce this so I could, all right? We started a school of ministry, and um, it was just amazing last year. We're starting the second year for everyone who started the first year last year, but also we're starting another first year. And if this has any interest to you, um, tomorrow we have our first class and it's not too late to sign up. We have a whole bunch of people, I think at this point, 14 people, first year students and 10 second year students that are uh, ready to go. But I know that there's more and I believe God's going to speak to some people about committing to that. So if the Lord speaks to you, you just got to be obedient. Amen? You just got to be obedient. Um, I want to, by the way, just thank you, Aaron and team. It was an amazing time of worship. Um, I want to invite Aaron and, and moi up for a second. Um, these are friends that I met for the first time when I went to India. In um, I was there in the end of March and the beginning of April. And I had the privilege of going there with a team of people that I really didn't know. Um, but when I got there, we went to Nagaland, which is northeast India. And um, just an amazing story. I began to hear uh, what God had done in that state. And it's, it's as they began to share the miracles of how God uh, brought the gospel there and what, as a result of the gospel being brought there, what God was doing in their hearts, um, I, I felt immediately knit. I'm, I'm just drawn to visions, you know. I'm drawn to partnering with people, connecting with people, relating with people that uh, have a vision that is way bigger than them, you know. And so I began to hear the vision um, uh, that they're actually their pastor's not here. There was a team of eight that was supposed to be here, and only two made it. So at some point in the future... Uh, we'll have some more people from Nagaland come, but um, I just wanted to introduce this couple. They're amazing. Uh, they're staying at our house for a few days, and they uh, gave us the privilege to come and minister uh, in worship and partner with our worship team. But also, they want to share this vision because they're trying to um, gather people who are willing to pray with them to see it uh, fulfilled. It is a it is a earth shaking vision. I'm serious about this. So, Moa's going to share this with all the passion that's in him, right? But would you just give, let's just give the Lord an applause for sending this team here. Good morning. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Jim and, and his lovely wife for, first of all, for just inviting us and then welcoming us. You know, and, and just being open. Yeah, we really appreciate what you are doing, and, and we thank you. First of all, yeah, thank you very much. Before I share the vision, um, I just had this prompting in my heart. So uh, the presence was so the presence of God was so thick in this place this morning. Yeah, and, and so just relating to that, I just want to share uh, what, what the presence of God really means. All right. Um, in in First Samuel chapter chapter sixteen, uh, we see that Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, right? And and he looks for a musician, and and one of his servants says that there's a son of Jesse named David. He's a, he's skilled in playing, and 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 if you read on, it says that I see that the Lord is with him. Right, I see that the Lord is with him, and it also means that the presence of God was with David. Right, so today, even as we experienced the presence of God here so tangibly, I feel that this should not end here. 
This should not end here. Wherever we go, wherever we go, we should carry His presence every, every time. Every time. Right? And the presence of God is like the number infinity, infinite. Right? It's, it's a difference maker in us. Even if, even if we have so many things in us, talents, giftings, wealth, you know, that is just a number. It adds up to just a number. But God is like the number infinite. Whatever we have multiplied with infinite is infinite. Zero with infinite is just zero. Ten with infinite is infinite, right? If we have God in us, if we carry the presence of God in us, that is the difference maker. That is the difference maker that sets us apart from the rest. And, and people are drawn towards us. So I just want to encourage every one of us, even as we, we go out from this place or wherever we go to our workplace, to our homes, carry the presence of God. We should, we should, we should seek for that. Amen? Yeah, um, um, as Pastor has mentioned, we are from India, northeastern part of India. It's a place called Nagaland. And uh, first of all, we have a connection, right? Nagaland has a connection with America. We have a spiritual connection with America. Why I say this is because before we received Christ, before we got to know the gospel, there was this American missionary from, uh, he was a Southern Baptist, I believe, who came to our place and, and brought the gospel. We were called in the early part of the 19th century, the Nagas were called headhunters. Headhunters. It was very difficult for people to enter our land. And so we were out of contact with the world. Um, but it was this American missionary who came boldly and, 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 and he brought the gospel to our land and he brought Christ into us. And, and now we are called soul hunters. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So after, um, after the gospel was brought to our land, and we, ha- we have had these waves of revival that came in, in the 1960s, 1970s. Um, you know, there were huge revivals going around in our, in our land. And, and also, side by side, uh, of course, we, we are a part of India, but then our, our people, they were also our fathers, they were also uh, wanting in independence, a separate nation. So uh, they were, in a way, uh, looking, fighting for that. And, and in one instance, like um, a total of nearly 5,000 people were killed fighting for the land. All right? And so there was this missionary and, and believers who came together praying. And during one of the prayers, they, they had this conviction that if we can uh, sacrifice 5,000 people just for our land, why can't we send out double of that 10,000 missionaries and, and do things for the Lord? And so in 1977, in one of the conference, um, our, our fathers, they made a covenant with God saying that we will send out 10,000 missionaries to the nations outside our borders. That was the covenant that they made. And, and now it's f- 41 years, 41 years running, and, and, and still, uh, we still haven't uh, fulfilled our promise to God. We're still pursuing for that. But in the month of April, when our pastor, he went to Germany for a conference, he got this conviction from, from God that um, the reason, okay, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go back. Our land, our place, Pastor Jim has been there, it's, it's different. <laughs> uh, we have bad roads, bad governance, you know, no development as such. You know, things are not working out as well as in America. Uh, and so, 
our pastor was convicted by the Spirit that that the reason why there's so much of um, um, ungodly things happening in Nagaland is is because still now we still haven't fulfilled the promise that we made to God to send out 10,000 missionaries to the world. That was a word that our pastor, Wapang, he received from God when he was in Germany in the month of April. And so he comes back and then he gathers and the, the leaders of the church, and he tells us, and, and, he, and, and he was saying that I am convicted that the mantle has been passed on to our generation, and so we have to pursue that. We have to pursue that. And so, um, right now, we are starting a movement called the Go Movement. The Go Movement. And it's specifically to, to send missionaries to send missionaries to the world, right? 10,000 is just a number, um, but, but we are pursuing for that. We want to pursue for that. And so uh, we need the prayers of believers. We need the prayers of believers. And, and, and so even as we are here, we know that we have a spiritual connection to America because it was an American who brought the gospel to our land and so we want we just want to come and then we just want to seek and and encourage everyone if you can if you can support us through your prayers through your prayers because this is a big thing this is a big thing and 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 we it may cost us uh, even our entire lives we don't know we don't know but this is a big step for us and and it's a big thing that we are pursuing um our pastor, he always says, if your dream does not scare you, maybe your dream is little, small, right? If your dream does not scare you, it's a small dream, Amen. right? And, and he also goes on and says that uh, God does not look into our bank balance, right? He's not concerned about our wealth, what we have, but what he is concerned is about our faith. Come on. Right? So we are just stepping into this by faith. This is a big thing for us to send out 10,000 missionaries to the nations. It'll take, it may take years and years. It may cost us a lot, but we are just stepping into it with faith and believing that God will do things. So, so I just want to encourage everyone, if you can kindly pray for that. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So, um, you know, when I began to hear this vision, uh, their pastor, Pastor Wabong, you'll meet him someday, Lord willing, uh, was talking about, he said, you know, Americans can't be sent into China, but we're brown skin, he said, and, and we can go into China, and we could go to all, all these surrounding nations that are closed, very closed to Americans, and I said, I, I want to partner with that. I want, to be a part, I want to be a part of supporting that. And their request is, will you pray for us? That's what their request is. They want to raise up 10,000 missionaries. I asked last night, how many missionaries since 1977 have you raised up and sent out? They said about 3,000. So this movement is to raise up those next 7,000 and send them to the nations. And we've been asked even to play, play a very small part to send teams to help uh, raise up disciples, which is what God called us to do. Amen? Amen. So uh, I just love what's going on. The thing burned in my heart when I heard it. And we just want to pray right now. Um, but also, as the Lord reminds us about this moment, that we would just lift them up in prayer, you know, that God would do great things through this small, I don't even know the size of Nagaland. Is it about the size of New York? Maybe smaller? Smaller. Nagaland, they want to send out 10,000 missionaries from a, a place that's smaller than New York. Come on. This is amazing. You know what I mean? That's just, that's, that's something that like, it stirs me. I'm like, come on, this is amazing. Let's pray, okay? Let's pray. Father, we bless you, oh God, we bless you for what you're doing, God. We bless you for what you're doing, God, that, Lord, it's you that are, is going to send 
Lord. It's you that's going to send the gospel to the ends of the earth, Lord. And Father, I thank you that these are willing vessels, Lord, that this is a a movement, the go movement that says, Lord, count us in. We want to be a part of what you're doing in our world, Lord. And 60% of the world's population is represented by the nations they're called to, God. So, Lord, we ask, God, that you raise them up, that you send them, God. Lord, that you send them, God, that souls and movements and revivals would uh, be, be the fruit of their efforts, the fruit of their sacrifice, Lord. And we thank you, uh, Father. We, we stand with them, God. We want to see you do great things in their midst, God. We give you all the praise right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Amen. Well, we are starting a new series today, and like Paul said, um, Paul said when he went into Corinth, he said, I came to you with trembling and fear, and I sort of feel that in my spirit today, because I feel like God wants to do something absolutely tremendous, Um, and I want to start off with a verse here to just open this up, and we'll see where we go today, but I feel like God's got some things that he wants to do deep in people's lives over this next several weeks. I want to start off in John, the third book of John, the epistle, chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, it says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, meaning being physically well. I pray that you may enjoy good health And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along. He's saying, I want want things to be going good in your life. And if you really break that down, you could say, you know, he's talking about the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. If you really look into it and maybe stretch it a little bit. You could say that that John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, I want your life to be good. It's my prayer, it's my desire for your life to be good. And I saw this this last portion of the verse, it says, even as your soul is getting along well. Now the people that John was writing to, apparently their soul was doing good. And I celebrate that. But I began to, you know, I just began to be led by the Lord, and I feel like this this is so powerful and of the Lord. That the truth is that there's people in this room, there's people connected to our church, that their soul is not doing well. That's not their reality. Their soul is broken. Their soul is struggling. They're, 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 they're uh, living life, limping through life out of a wound or wounds or some level of desperation in their life. Their soul's not doing good. And so I want to have, uh, just the next several weeks, a series called Soul Care. I feel like we're just going to, you know, let the Lord lead. I don't even know what it looks like. I just came up with that name this morning. But, but I want to say one day, even as your soul is doing well, is getting along well, and I want to mean it, I, I want it to be the reality of who of those who call Faith Chapel their place, their church, their people. That your soul is doing well. What is your soul? Your soul. Mind, will, and emotions. It's your very being. It's who you are. It's it's the part of you that people don't see. And so I want to talk today, a very tough topic is, I want to talk about anxiety and depression. Because I feel like it's a, it's a prominent struggle in our world. We live in an anxious culture. We live in a broken culture. We, we live in a place that, you know, uh, people day by day are doing really good or really bad, you know. And I believe God has an answer for that. I believe God, I believe this matters to God a lot. God wants your soul to be doing well, getting along well. And so we find in the scriptures people like David, 
when he's, when he's talking to God, he says, Lord, I just give you my anxious thoughts. Paul writes to the Philippians, don't be anxious. We, we read in the Psalms and various other books of the Bible uh, about the depths of brokenness that people go through. So this is not a new thing. You understand? It's not, it's not a new thing that people are experiencing. It may be increased. It may be, you know, it, it may be more prevalent. There's people that we know that struggle with this. Um, and I want to be honest with you. This was, um, this was sort of brought to the forefront in my heart when I read um, about a pastor in near L.A., very prominent, um, influential, young pastor, 30 years old, has a beautiful young wife, three beautiful young kids, and he took his life. And I want to say to you that um, this kind of stuff, anxiety, depression, anxiety and depression, two separate things, but a lot of times they go hand in hand. They say, I was reading a statistic that said that about 80% of people who have depression also have anxiety, or maybe it was flipped, 80% of people have anxiety also have depression, something like that. But there's a lot of connection between the two, um, is my point. And what happened in this young man's life, it, it left absolute and utter devastation, you know? A church that's absolutely broken, family that, you know, uh, one of the children said, why didn't daddy say goodbye to me? And I just began to think, the devil is a stinking liar. And and we, you know, we have to cover, we have to talk about this. I've never talked about this stuff before. But I know the word of God has answers for us. And I'm not talking about simple little things that quote you a verse and solve your problems. I I actually look at this whole concept. I don't take it lightly. There, There may be people in this room right now. That depression is, is overwhelming. It's like a dark cloud over you. On the other hand, there's people, I, I was reading this morning, it said, someone wrote, depression is the common cold of our emotions. It's the common cold that everyone, eventually it touches everyone. Everyone will have some level of depression at some point in their, in their lives. And it's important for us as those who follow Jesus, as those who love Jesus, as, as those who look to Jesus for every answer that life could throw at us, to have an answer. Right? To, to have something to lean on, to, to have some help to go after so that we can move forward in life. So again, I don't take this lightly, and I, and I, I don't want you to think that 30 minutes of me talking to you is going to solve the world's problems. I believe in process. I believe that that God has us all in process. I believe that this conversation maybe and maybe this series can initiate a process, a catalyst of change for some people. But I can't snap the fingers, my fingers and make your problems go away. You know, so, but, but it's my desire to help. And I've, My wife and I have been praying, we've been believing, we've been calling on people to pray because, uh, you know, to be honest with you, for a long time now, we've been crying out to God for greater anointing, a greater anointing to see healings. There's people that I see week to week, day to day, that are still walking in their sickness. And we need a greater anointing. We, we We need something more from God because I know that Jesus paid a price. For that sickness. And I know it's Jesus' will. Right? He laid down his life. That by his stripes we were healed. And so I can't point the finger at God and say it was God's will. I can look at me and say, God, I need more. Because there's nothing too difficult for him. There's nothing too difficult for him. He de- it was demonstrated when Jesus walked the earth. It was demonstrated in the book of, book of Acts. And look at this world. If you begin to look at what's going on in this world today, God is really, really moving. It's exciting. And I want to get on that bandwagon. I, I want to be a part of that. I, I want to see this place be a place like was prophesied years ago. We talk about going back to the things that God has spoken. 
This place was prophesied to be a hospital. A place where people come and get healed. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. And I want to see that manifested more and more. Now, um, God does move every week. Every week, someone's got a testimony of what God's doing. But I just want, I want more. I want to see more. Amen? So I'm really going to be in a place today of introducing this series and uh, trusting God with the follow-on weeks. But I would just ask you to commit to be here every single week. This is so important. Maybe this hasn't hit you, this stuff, this, these struggles, these challenges. But I bet you you know someone who has been hit by it. And we can't just ignore it as if that's somebody else's problem. We're called to, to bring hope, right? We're called to bring healing to a lost and dying world. So John writes, even as your soul is getting along well. Even as your soul is getting along well. And I want to start off with a passage from the book of Lamentations. You want to talk about depression. The whole book was written by someone who was going through depression. <laughs> Read this book someday. Jeremiah writes Lamentations. I'm just going to read you a few verses and then I'll show you the one that I have on the screen. But this guy in chapter 3, just listen to these words. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and, my, my, and has broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. That's depressing. In that same, uh, in that same chapter... There's a turning point. And I just love that there's always a turning point with God. Amen? There's always a turning point. It says in, in Lamentations 3, 19, it says, I well, oh wait, 19. I remember my afflictions and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall. He, now he's looking backwards, right? He's saying there was a time in my life that I went through a mess. I want this verse to give you hope, this passage to give you hope. There was a time that I went through a mess. I remember, he says. Verse 20, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. In the book of Psalms, David writes, and some of the other psalmists write, why is my soul downcast within me? Like, what is going on with me? Why am I struggling so much? Why is there so much pain, so much agony, so much trouble that I'm facing? This is a reality. This, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken place, right? We can't ignore this. 21, it says, yes, excuse me, yet this I call to mind. In essence, he's saying, I'm going to speak to myself about something. I'm going to remind myself about something. Yet this, I remember the way it was. I remember what I went through. I remember how bad it was. But I'm going to call this to mind. And therefore, I have hope. You know, depression is described as hope, utter hopelessness. Like there's, no matter where you look, no matter how you how, whatever you do, it feels like there's nothing. It's like zero. It's zero. We talk about it. I didn't know you were a mathematician. Infinity and multiplication and all that stuff. But zero hope is zero hope. It's zero. There's, there's nothing, right? And yet, Jeremiah says, I call this to mind so that I could get some hope back. I call this to mind, and because of what I call to mind, I have hope. Verse 22. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. You want to remind yourself of something, 
don't be pointing the finger at God and saying, look what you've done to me. Remind yourself of the goodness of God. Right? He's so good. And so Jeremiah is, is reminding himself that God's compassions or mercies, depending on the translation that you look at, his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Oh, I love that song. New every morning. The mercies of God, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, God. I want to say to you that if you're in the midst of a mess, this is not your lot in life. There is hope because of the greatness of God. There is hope because of how powerful our God is. And how able he is to help you through this. We go through seasons in life. Many times we don't. Sometimes we put ourselves in those seasons because of our actions. Because of our unbelief. Because of our sin. But other times it's just a season that we have to we go through. We have to go through. But in the midst of this, we need to find a way to find hope. It's important that we have a way to find hope. And I'm hoping you'll let me pastor you through this season if you're in the middle of it. I I can't help you if I don't know what you're dealing with. I know people. I know an amazing God. And I don't have all the answers myself. I can't pretend that I have all the answers. But what tends to happen is people isolate. They cut people off. Even the closest people in their lives, they cut them off. And they cut off help because of the darkness that's surrounding them. Um, I want to just share a couple of reasons why I believe that we end up in the, the realm of wrong thinking. I, I love how Jeremiah puts it, that I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to remind myself of the goodness of God. And the reality is, a lot of this, this stuff surrounding anxiety and depression is related to how we think, what we think about. Do you know that it's okay to not be okay? This has to be a safe place where uh, there's enough comfort and enough safety to say, I'm not okay. I, I want to just, I want to take away the, the superficiality, the, 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 the feelings that we have to pretend that everything's okay. Now, I'm not telling you to spill the beans and share your life with everyone, but you need to have someone, you know? You need to have someone. We don't, we don't go after brokenness, but we don't pretend that we're not broken, right? It's okay to not be okay. God is at work. And so I want to just land on this area of thinking because wrong thinking can come from at least three different places. I'll share this very quickly with you. Um, Because let me just say this, that we'll never change our circumstances until we change the way we think. We'll never be changed until we think differently, right? When we think and see things the way... uh, our neighbor does, or our friends do, or our co-workers do, we're going to stay stuck in that. We need to start seeing the way God sees. We need to start thinking the way God thinks. That is our only hope. This is what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, I call this to mind, that it's God, that his mercies are, his compassions are new every morning. They're great. Great is his faithfulness. And so, um, three different sources of thinking that really feed us a lot of times. Your circumstances, right? Your circumstances, they could be confusing. You could be doing good with God. You could, you know, be pressing into him. All of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Your world caves in. Our circumstances, the things around us, the relationships... The challenges, the finances, the job, your children, 
Your circumstances can, can impact the way you think. Does anyone agree with me on this? I mean, right? I, I mean, especially going back to what I said a, a, sometime recently, Peter is the classic example. He's walking on water. And then it says, the Bible says, he's doing the supernatural thing, and the Bible says that he noticed the winds and the waves. He noticed what was going on around. His, he was looking at Jesus, but then he noticed, whoa, that wave just crashed up to my knee. The next one just crashed me in the, you know, up to my hip. All of a sudden, like, whoa, wait a second. This is dangerous. What am I doing out here? You know, we, we take our, the, the circumstances that we face sometimes can take our eyes off of Jesus. Can cause us to look around us as opposed to look up to him. And so um, our circumstances can be confusing. Because, you know, when I'm driving down the road and it's pouring out, you really can't see that far. You can't see clearly in the midst of a storm. Right? It's hard to see clearly when you're going through a storm. You think about that spiritually. You know, how, I, I'm in the midst of this mess in my life. How in the world am I going to press into God? So it, it impacts our thinking and the way we think. And unfortunately, the enemy can use that to make us believe or lead us to believe that the author of that storm is God. And we get bitter. We get frustrated we call out God as the one who's sending the storm our way. Now, I got to just, just to go back to the Peter illustration. Why would Jesus rebuke what God brought into place? Why would Jesus curse or rebuke a storm that God put there? Think about that. Why would he call his disciples fear, fearful if it was God's doing? Wouldn't he be going against the Father's will if he rebuked what God brought into place? That storm was not from God. And let me tell you something clearly. The storm you're in is not from God. It could be from you. It could be because you're being stubborn, not obedient, you're not forgiving, you're, you're not doing the things God... You could bring a storm into your own life. Do you know that? Yeah, it could be from you. It could be your doing. So your circumstances can confuse you. Also, uh, the things that impact our thinking is the devil will lie to you. I'm not even going to say can lie to you. He will lie to you. There's a verse in John chapter 8. It says this. You belong to your father. Verse 44, chapter 8, John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Do you see that? You might want to work. If you have a, a paper Bible, you might want to circle those words, no truth. He doesn't have truth in him, Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil will lie to you. And this can be uh, an influence to your thinking, the way you think, how you think. And finally, the world has the potential to pollute you. In James, I, I've always loved this verse in James verse one, chapter 1, verse 27. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress... And that's usually where we land when we quote that verse, right? I mean, that's, that's what we always focus on in that verse. But the last part of that verse says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you know the world has, has a way of polluting us? I mean, we're so devoted in our time, uh, in our efforts, in our passions to the things of the world. I was looking up some statistics, and they say social media, people spend so much time on social media. Let me just give you a hint, uh, husbands and wives and guys and girls that are dating. Don't sit at a, nice, at a nice restaurant eating dinner looking at your phones. You know what I mean? Look each other in the eye. 
It's, there's value to that. It's powerful. Talk, communicate to each other. I, 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 I see this so often. I'm like, what in the world are they doing? I wanted to call the guy into the bathroom and talk to him about it. Like, what are you doing? You've got this beautiful woman and you're focused on the stupid phone? There's something better. The world has a way of polluting us. We spend so much time on social media. Like it's other people's business, you know. We're so interested in other people's business that we don't take care of our own. And that way of thinking, it has a way of polluting us. I I saw the statistic about young people, not to call you out, I love you. I want to help you. They say young people spend on average nine hours a day on social media. I don't know if that's true or not, but, well, actually, it was on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> even, if, even if it was half that, that's still too much. And I always hear people saying, I have no time to be in the Word of God. I, I'm so busy. But you know about Sister So-and-So's business, and, you know, this guy broke up with this girl, and all this drama that's going on, and you're right in the middle. Listen. The world has a way of drawing us away from God. And I want to just say, I I don't have enough time to preach this whole message at this point, but I'm going to, I commit to covering it next week. I want to share with you some thoughts from this guy named Elijah. You know, you can scan through the Bible. You read some of the stories of people, and so many people were willing to share their ups and downs in this journey. We, we cannot think that our lives are going to be exempt from trouble. We cannot think that challenges and problems will not come our way. But let me tell you something. The most important thing I say today is this. It is what you do in response to those problems and challenges that would determine Uh, your outlook and how you move forward. If you have hope, if you're able to maintain hope in the midst of these messes. Elijah, one of the most powerful uh, men in the Old Testament. This guy, you know, when they talk about the law and the prophets, they refer to Moses and Elijah. Moses was influential in bringing in the law. Elijah was like the poster boy of prophets. And this guy, you know, just miracles and power. And I mean, this, this woman who was very poor, she was about to, uh, you know, her son was about to die. And he came in in this multiplication of oil and flour. I believe that's correct. Multiplication of oil and flour sustained this family. The supernatural miracle over this long period of time. Um, that same boy died. And Elijah raises him from the dead. One of my favorite stories, one of them in all the Bible, was Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Amazing, amazing challenge. I mean, this this guy was feisty. He was faith-filled. He was full of the fire of God and the passion of God. I mean, this guy, uh, this guy prayed and it stopped raining for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, the Bible tells us, and it started raining. This man was connected to God. This guy, this guy was awesome. So he's on this mountain, uh, Mount Carmel, and and his his issue was the people were wavering between is God God or is Baal God? They were just like in this wavering place. And and he says, Well, I'm just gonna prove it to you right now. You guys call 450 prophets, they go up to the mountain, Elijah's alone. And he really believed he was alone. But he's on this mountain, and, he's, and he has all this stuff. I want you to get a bull. You choose. We're going to get two bulls, one for you, one for us, one for me. And I want you to cut it up. I want you to build an altar. I want you to put it on the altar. And I want you to call upon your God to bring fire. And so these prophets, he said, you guys go first. They begin to call upon God. They're calling, calling, calling. After a while, he begins to mock them. Where is your God? Is he sleeping? Is, is he on vacation? Has he forgot to answer your call? And he's just mocking them, and they start cutting themselves. This is the way they 
you know, got their God's attention apparently, and nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And the Bible tells us that at the hour of sacrifice, after Elijah, he puts the ox on the altar, and he had them pour, the, them pour wa- buckets and buckets of water. He built a trough around it, which was full of water. I mean, this thing was not consumable by fire in the natural sense, Right? He calls upon his God, and God answers by fire. He, God answers by fire. And, I mean, it, people were in awe, and they begin to shout. They begin to cry out, God, he is the Lord. And, and all the people that witnessed this began to look to God as the one true God. Well, if that were the end of the story, that would be amazing. But the next chapter, which we're going to explore in detail next week, is when Elijah has this amazing, actually not amazing, this catastrophic um, sense of depression and pity. He goes into this place of wanting to die because he got threatened by a woman. Her name was Jezebel. She was a fierce woman. And I feel like in that chapter, I want to challenge you to read 1 Kings 19 this week and just look at it and ask God to show you some things. We're going to talk about this extensively next week. But Elijah went into a place of wanting to die, like utter darkness and depression, running, loneliness, abandoning people, and getting alone and telling God to take his life. And God has some amazing answers for him. And God has some amazing answers for you. Listen, God loves you so very much. He wants you to know that you are his. If you've surrendered your life to him, you are his. He will watch out for you. He will protect you. He will help you. And the challenge you face in life, even today, is not too great for the God that you serve. He's an amazing God. And I just want to say this before I pray and close here today. Maybe you're in this place and you know, I mean, we heard it during worship, like giving him all our love. You know that you really, truly haven't surrendered your life to God. You know that you haven't made him Lord of your life. You know that there are things in your way that have made, that have become more important to you than him. And you've never said, God, I surrender my life to you. I I want my life to be yours. I want you to come and live in me. And if that's you today, I I challenge you today, meet me at this altar. Meet me at this altar. I want to help you. I want to answer some questions for you because the God that you've either avoided or didn't know about or are running from is the very one that can help you. He can change your life. He can make all things new. He's more amazing than words could ever describe. His love is so vast, so powerful, so transforming. It's amazing to encounter that love. And there's, there's just different dimensions as you press in to know him more. I would challenge you. Seek to know him more. He's an amazing God. And for the rest of us, listen, I've been talking about anxiety and depression. We'll talk about more, talk about that more this week. But I want to just leave you like in limbo. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that, that the reality of who God is would overwhelm the struggles that you're currently facing. That his love would shine down so brightly. That the reality of who he is and who he sees you as will begin to wipe away the struggles that you're facing and help you cope day to day to day. There's no magic pill. But I'm telling you, you fix your eyes on Jesus. There's some amazing promises that he has for you. And I want you to walk into them, step into them. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? I want to close in prayer today. But I'm here to just declare to you that anxiety and depression is no match for the God we serve. Amen? And please understand, if that is a struggle for you, these two things, 
This does not make you second class. It doesn't make you less than anyone else. Everyone in this room has their challenges they face in life. And so we are trying to help people come into a place where their soul is well. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, today, we just honor you. And we love you, God. And Lord, what you've done in in people like Elijah's life and David's life and Paul's life and Moses' life to help them out of the struggles they were facing, God, I know that you would do that here in the lives of the people here. And I thank you for that, God. Father, I pray that this is a turning point, that this is a, a spark for change, God. It's the beginning of a process, Lord, where we pursue you and get healthy and hopeful again. That we can look up and see you again through the mess, through the storm that's all around us, through the darkness that seems to encompass us. That we can fix our eyes on you. And so, Father, I pray for those who are in the midst of a battle right now, in the midst of a struggle. God, I pray that you would lift them up upon the rock. (laughs) That they would rise up above, Lord, rise up above that situation and be able to see you and find hope in you. I just thank you that you're so good. I thank you that you love us so much. God, that nothing goes without your notice. No thing that we face escapes your awareness, God. Father, this place is going to be a place of hope. This place is going to be a place of healing, God, where people know who God is and who he calls them as their sons and daughters. So, Father, I bless your people today, God. I I pray for a great week, God. I pray that you speak to people as they look through 1 Kings 19, God. And we give you praise right now, God. I bless your people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We always love to pray for people at the altar. If you have any need, if there's anything you've been crying out for that you want someone to partner with you on, please come and receive prayer. For those who are going to meet me, I'm going to come down these steps. Please come and meet me. Otherwise, um, please enjoy some coffee in the atrium and respect those who are here.